deep inside every one of us is a lion waiting to be unleashed. Are you ready to be unleashed into your destiny? As we stand on the edge of time, the web of deception is being unraveled. Carl Joseph offers you the red pill and the keys to unlock the shackles of your mind. Get ready to be transformed by God's supernatural power. Let's join him now. Friend, today we're going to talk about a topic so controversial that, quite frankly, it can even divide the church. This topic is tithing, and there's lots of arguments for and against it, but I hope to add some clarity to this discussion today. But I will say that this whole message of giving to God has been abused down the years for sure. To be honest with you, some people are so turned off about giving money to God, they don't even attend church anymore. And that's really sad because Hebrews 10.25 makes it clear. We should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The day in this passage is the return of Jesus Christ, and we should not forsake fellowship and our assembling together until that wonderful day. Friend, let me start out by giving you a quick story along the lines of someone who was hurt and wounded regarding some preachers perceiving to fleece the sheep for too much money. I have a friend from Australia who's a traveling evangelist, and this guy is unconventional to say the least, but a really anointed man of God who's been used mightily by the Holy Spirit down the years. Anyway, he was holding a series of revival meetings in Australia one time. While he was ministering, he reached down for his wallet after the service and noticed that it was gone. To top that, his green card was in it. Now, if you lose a green card, friend, you have to reapply for one, and this can really impact your travel schedule. In fact, it can take years to get another one from the INS. It's a serious thing, but my friend Chris, for some unknown reason, didn't panic because he had peace in his spirit about the whole thing. Sure enough, two days later, he got a call from someone who found his wallet. He swung by the house the next day. To be honest, the person who answered the door was a bit gruff and direct with Chris, but he said that his dog had ruffled around by the riverside in the bushes and found Chris's wallet. At the same time, another person came to the door and inquired who it was. The man handed Chris his wallet, and Chris was so pleased, because he saw his green card still intact, he pulled a $100 bill out of his wallet and handed it to the man at the door as a thank you for finding it. Now the gentleman standing next to the man who answered the door introduced himself as his brother, and then he said this, friend, for years all my brother has done is watch preachers on TV ask people for money. He says all they're out is to get your money and couldn't give a hoot about you. It will be a cold day in hell when a preacher hands me a hundred dollar bill. Friend, that is exactly what happened. This man actually started crying and realized that God had heard his complaints and fulfilled the very words he spoke by a preacher who was indeed sincere. Chris then led this man to Jesus right there at the door. Wow, friend, this is a powerful testimony. God hears us. He hears all of our words, good and bad. Friend, I know this story was a bit of a sidetrack, but I wanted you to know there are wounded people out there who think that most preachers are simply out to get your dinero, and this is simply not true. I will apologize on their behalf if you're one of these people. But friend, this wound is stopping you from reaching the harvest God desires in your life because you cannot reap a harvest financially if you don't sow seed. 
The law of sowing and reaping is outlined within the New Testament in Galatians 6-7 and very much in effect today. And friend, let me tell you, based on scripture and experience, God offers the greatest return on investment that anyone can offer. By choosing not to give anything to the Lord, acting out of a wounded heart, you will greatly restrict what God can accomplish financially in your life. Friend, you can take it or leave it, but please take this message today and listen to what I have to say. If there's any trait that's more godly than giving, then I want to know about it. God gave his only begotten son for mankind. God gave as an act of love, and there is no greater act of love than giving. It's a physical manifestation of what you believe. Friend, the practice of giving is found in natural law, and even heathen nations like Babylon, Egypt, and Assyria would even tithe to their false gods in a form of pagan worship. So we can clearly see the desire to give to God is innate in all peoples in the earth, even if it is misplaced in these examples. One common objection to tithing is that because it was a part of the Mosaic law, then it's been done away with because we're no longer under the law. Well, it's true that we're no longer under the law. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But tithing began before the law, friend. In fact, the first person to give tithe was Abraham. Abraham was well known for his generosity toward his tribe and even strangers. We also know that since Abraham demonstrated tithing before the law of Moses was introduced, just like marriage and the remainder of the moral law, then these are indeed eternal principles. We should also note that another pre-Mosaic law example of tithing was by Jacob in Genesis 28 verse 22. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you shall give me I shall surely give the tenth to you. So what does tithe mean exactly? It simply means a tenth. But a more precise definition can be found in the Encyclopedia Americana, which defines it as this, the tenth part or produce or other income paid voluntarily or under the compulsion of law for the benefit of religious institutions, the support of priests and pastors, and the relief of those in need. Now, the word tithe is mentioned 40 times in Scripture, 33 times in the Old Testament, and 7 times in the New Testament. Tithing is mentioned several times within the book of Hebrews also, but it's never said that we should not tithe in the New Testament. In fact, within our dispensation, Jesus owns everything, and we are merely stewards of our possessions and money, to which we will have to give an account to him when we see him face to face. In Genesis 14, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, who is a mysterious character from the Old Testament to say the least. Some believe he could be Shem or a pre-incarnate Jesus, but more on that another time. In Genesis 14, we learn of Lot being taken by the neighboring kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham went after them with 318 men. He brought back all the goods and Lot and the women. He then tithed from this spoil. Therefore, this act of giving is a biblical standard or eternal moral principle in place before the Mosaic law was instituted. Now, under the Mosaic law, the tithe was given to the tribe of Levi in exchange for his loss of land, and then a tenth of this was granted to the brothers of Aaron, who served as priests in the temple. So in the Old Testament, the priests partook of the tithes because obviously they had no other means of income or land or cattle, having dedicated themselves to the priesthood. But it's the same today, friend. Ministers have given up their incomes to go into the ministry, and because they perform spiritual duties, they therefore qualify to receive physical substance for their spiritual efforts. The Apostle Paul spoke of this in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 10 through 11. 
He says, Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should partake of his hope. If we have sown unto spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? In years past, some denominations thought it was an act of piety to keep their ministers as poor as possible. But we know from the Torah that poverty was one of the curses of the law from which Christ has redeemed us from. So God is not pleased with those denominations who act in this manner toward their ministers. Friend, we can see from Scripture, and there are at least four others I could have shared with you, in addition to this one of 1 Corinthians 9, 10-11, that pastors or church leaders should be supported financially because they make their living in the gospel. But again, the abuse comes from some egregious ministers who have a net worth of in excess of $200 million, and no one knows exactly how this came about. But again, ministers can have businesses as well as preach, and if, as long as it doesn't compromise their calling, it's not a sin to do that either. In the case of others, they've told their board of directors to cap their income and live off an acceptable income. It's really up to each ministry how they deal with their pastor. Friend, regardless of this, it should not distract you from giving to the Lord. No minister that I've ever met has gone into ministry for the money. That concept is ridiculous and stupid, to say the least. There are so many better ways of getting rich in this life, friend, than being in the ministry. Let me tell you, believe me, you should only enter the ministry if you're called by God and for no other reason. Otherwise, your priorities are off base. Indeed, the priests would live off these tithes, and some of it was used also for the various annual festivals. Now it is true, friend, that under Mosaic law, land, cattle, and grain was given as the tithe. But because we live in an industrial society today, we should still give a tenth of our substance. It's also postulated by some scholars that the poor were not required to tithe either. But I remember Mark's gospel in chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. Let's read it now. And Jesus sat over against the treasury, and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow has cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in out of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Evidently, Jesus watches over the offering, friend, and sees not only what we give, but the manner in which we give, and he still does this today. This woman was poor and evidently came to make her offering. But what caught Jesus' attention is that she gave out of her lack, whereas the others were giving out of abundance. The point is, Jesus was looking at the proportion of the income that the person gave. A rich person can give $20,000, but it could be a very small amount of their income. Whereas a poor person might be giving all with just $100. It's the proportion of giving is what Christ looks at and the manner in which we give. Friend, along these lines, Jesus observed the Pharisees tithing and never spoke against the practice. If he was against tithing, he would have said so, but he didn't. Here's an example where Jesus scolded the Pharisees for their obsessive manner of tithing. Indeed, the Pharisees were obsessed with the minutiae of the law and went over and above it many times to show piety, but they missed the key components of the law. Now let me read this very passage to you from the New Living Translation. That's Matthew 23, 23. 
He said, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Friend, Jesus was for tithing, and the word of God is not changed on that matter. Some scholars don't believe Jesus tithed because he was poor. But friend, Jesus never spoke against tithing, as I've said, and by implication, it's very likely that he did so. Let me ask you this, friend. If God is asking for 10% of our substance in the Old Testament, and we're now in a better covenant, then surely we should give at least the same amount to honor that better covenant, if not more. In the book of Malachi, God makes a profound statement, which I have seen come to pass in my own life. And I have been very blessed from tithes and offerings since I came to Christ on June 9th of 1999. Blessed beyond measure, as far as I'm concerned, not only financially, but in other areas of my life. I believe the tithe extends to a total blessing, not just in the area of finances. In Malachi 3.10 it says, and this is God speaking, Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, and that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Wow, friend. God is challenging you today to test him in the area of finances. Remember, the word tithe means tenth. Whether it's gross or net of your income, that's your prerogative. But technically, it was always the gross amount from the very beginning. Whether it's gross or net, that's between you and God, friend. If you look up the word prove in this passage, it actually means put to the test, literally. God wants you to test him in this area of giving, friend. Because he says he will open up the windows of heaven if you do. You've been listening to Carl Joseph and the Lions Unchained podcast. Carl is a minister who's witnessed God's supernatural power to save, heal, and deliver. Carl is a unique researcher who investigates current affairs, societal trends, technology, cults, and end-time events, all through a biblical lens. Every Monday, new podcasts are uploaded, so stay tuned for the next opportunity to roar into victory. Check out carljosephministries.com for exciting articles, teachings, and discussion points. See you next week. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button 